Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC San Diego, Marlon Chito Vera versus Dominic Cruz. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the Pechanga Arena in San Diego, California. You got the most prolific finisher in bantamweight history representing ecuador marlon chito vera taking on the former wec champion the former two-time ufc bantamweight champion the last ever wec bantamweight champion and the first ever ufc bantamweight champion i'm talking about the one and only dominic cruz and this should be one hell of a fight i cannot wait to get into it so y'all do me a favor smash the like button hit the subscribe button retweet comment do the whole bit and let's get down to business y'all because main event of the evening we got a matchup between marlon chito vera he's 21 7 and 1 representing ecuador taking on dominic cruz who's 24 and 3 representing the great united states of america and currently they got it Marlon Chito Vera minus 230. The comeback on Dominic Cruz is plus 200. Now, lots of talking points to get to. So much to talk about with a fight like this. It's unbelievable. I mean, should we talk with should we start with the transformation of Chito Vera? Should we talk about how these odds would have been insane? Like, you know, a few years back. Uh, there's just a lot. Should we talk about how they match up stylistically, where they're at currently in their careers? Just so much to talk about. So let, let's get into it. So look, if you want to talk about a transformation, if you want to talk about turning things around, not because you're this athletic freak, not because you're this genetically gifted guy, but just because you have the work ethic of you got that immigrant mentality, you just work harder than the rest. Then you talk about Cheeto Vera. Point in case. Go pull up his first fight with Davy Grant. Like, pause this right now. It, go pull up his first fight with Davy Grant, and then immediately after, pull up his second fight with Davy Grant. I mean, like, it's just night and day, the progression this guy has made, and he's done it all through hard work. I mean, this is not someone who, you know, is going to, you know, have the highest vertical jump or have the fastest 40-yard dash or probably doesn't bench the most and you know it's just he's a hard worker he he's made those incremental improvements every single fight i mean you see his debut against marco psycho beltran on the ultimate fighter latino america finals which was actually speaking of the ultimate fighter that was the first season of the ultimate fighter latino america it was the season that yair rodriguez won it was the season that Ale uh, alejandro turbo perez won and interestingly enough Chito Vera was actually supposed to, I think he was supposed to be in the finals, but the reason he wasn't able to do it was because he had some kind of skin infection. Because if you if you recall, Chito Vera on the show, he knocked out Henry Briones with this disgusting upkick. Like I'm talking about, like it was it was it was worse than the Nico Price upkick. It was worse than the Musasi upkick on Jacare from back in the day. I'm talking. Chito Vera landed this nasty upkick, and it looked like he might have been the dark horse on that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Ends up getting this skin condition for some reason and is unfortunately eliminated from the show. So he actually never lost on The Ultimate Fighter. He just wasn't able to fight because, you know, of the unfortunate skin condition. So it ends up being Alejandro Perez versus actually Teco Quinones 
in the finals. And then Alejandro wins that. And it was actually a controversial fight. Uh, Teco was deducted some points and this and that. And we all know my boy Alejandro Perez is good at weaseling out those decisions. So needless to say, Chito Vera never got to be the ultimate fighter winner. And guess what? He goes back to the drawing board. He fights Marco Psycho Beltran in that debut in Mexico, which, you know, Psycho Beltran was from, from Mexico. A lot of us thought Chito Vera might have won that fight. Judges disagreed. Comes back, fights in Nashville against Roman Salazar and gets that triangle armbar. And that's when we were first like, okay, you know, this kid's an exciting finisher. I mean, he's raw as hell. He's green, but, you know, he's got some potential. Since that point, I mean, it's had some more ups and downs, but the Brad Pickett fight. So he goes out there in the UK. He fights Brad Pickett, who, I, for y'all noobs, let me just refresh you on, on Brad Pickett. And I don't say that to be condescending. I'm just, I just want to give a little history lesson. Brad Pickett is the fucking man. Brad Pickett is a dude that beat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson back in the WEC. Brad Pickett is a dude who would always be kill or be killed, would always go out on his shield in fights he'd lose, and in fights he'd win, knock dudes out, had underrated wrestling for a guy from England at the time. So in his retirement fight in England, Cheeto Vera goes out there, knocks him out with a head kick, and the whole crowd is booing Cheeto Vera because, I mean, they all wanted to see Brad Pickett win. And within five minutes of them booing Chito Vera out of the arena, he gets on the mic and he's like, guys, stop, stop. Brad Pickett is a legend. Brad Pickett is a fucking legend. And the whole crowd immediately turned and loved Chito Vera from that point on. And he basically said in that speech that, you know, now he gets to feed his family and he showed Brad Pickett all the respect he deserves. It's still one of the best post-fight speeches to this day. But that's when people started to kind of take note, right? And since that point, you know, he's had some ups and downs. I mean, he used to train at this gym called 50-50 in Ecuador, where basically it was him and cab drivers. And I know, you know, I like to I like to be sarcastic. I like to attempt to be funny and say certain things. But I'm not joking when, I, when I'm saying that he was training with cab drivers, man. He was literally in there with, with no fighters. He was the only fighter at his gym in Ecuador. And he made it to the UFC off that merit alone. But he knew he had to change some things up, you know, starting his UFC career one and two. So the guy ends up moving to California. He trains out at Team Oyama. You know, they're responsible for champions such as Carla Esparza. They got some other really good fighters there, you know, Alex Perez. Um, so he goes on this big, you know, he, he goes on this three-fight win streak to start things off. You know, he beat Ning Guang Yu in Australia. The Brad Pickett fight, which I mentioned, y'all remember the Kelleher finish? Then he had, you know, two fights in Brazil that didn't go his way. The John Lineker fight, which, by the way, one theme we'll talk about is how Cheeto Vera doesn't truly get started until fights hit round three. Point in case, the Brad Pickett fight, but another point in case, that John Lineker fight. I mean, if y'all remember John Lineker, dudes would be, it would be a death sentence to stand and bang with a guy like John Lineker back in the day. And by the time that third round came around, I mean... Cheeto Vera was out there putting on a clinic on John on John Lineker in that third round. The first two rounds, he was eating big shots, the kind of shots that knocked everybody else out, but knocked everybody else out. But Cheeto Vera's got an iron jaw. So that's when we were kind of like, dude, this guy can take a punch better than most. Comes back in that third round. It was a beautiful thing to see. The Douglas Silva DeAndrage fight. I mean, I know we're talking about 2018, but Listen, <laughs> whatever garden of life, fruits and vegetables, my boy Douglas Silva DeAndrage was on that night. 
Uh, no one was beating him that night. You understand what I mean? But since that point, he went on a big five-fight win streak, a five-fight finish streak, a five-fight kill streak. Should have honestly been a seven-fight win streak because a lot of people think he won the fight against Song Yedong. Now, I thought it was a very close fight, but what I also took away from it, more important than who won and who lost, was the fact that Cheeto Vera is, is kind of a slow starter but once that third round comes around, this dude is world-class in the third rounds. And this, this is my third example of it. The Brad Pickett fight. I mean, don't even watch the first two rounds. Let me know how he looked in that third round. I was like, holy shit, a different guy. The John Lineker fight. That third round is a different guy. That Song Yadong fight, the way he put it on him in that third round, you're like, god damn, what's this guy going to look like in five-round fights? The Sean O'Malley fight, you can say whatever you want about it, being a fluke, not being a fluke. But the bottom line is, only one guy got uh, their head elbowed into the canvas and and went out, and that it wasn't Cheeto Vera. So Cheeto Vera finished Sean O'Malley. Had the Jose Aldo fight. Close 29-28 fight. Another one where I would have liked to see a five-round fight. Now, this current win streak, back to what we were talking about, Davy Grant. Go watch his first fight with Davy Grant. Go watch his second fight with Davy Grant. It's night and day difference in just person he's not even the same guy as that and what's crazy is that you look at dominic cruz back around the time that um that chito fought davy the first time and dominic cruz was world-class then dominic cruz you want you know how long dominic cruz has been world-class for dominic cruz this dude has been world-class since 2009 that's like a year after I graduated high school. So like I've been watching this dude be a world champion since since like so I took a year off between high school and college. So since right after high school, since the beginning of college, since after college. I mean, this guy, he so he won a belt before I was in college and then he won a belt when I graduated college. Like that's how insane Dominic Cruz's longevity has been. Uh, in this sport. Um, he's amazing. And I'm going to talk about his unique style in a sec. But back to Cheeto. So I mentioned the Davy Grant fights, how it's like you just want a night, you know, a night and day comparison. Watch his two Davy Grant fights. You'll see a completely different guy. The Frankie Edgar fight. There's some misconceptions in that fight. First fight, I mean, first round, listen, Frankie Edgar took him down, was able to, you know, accumulate some top control, even though on the bottom, Cheeto Vera was busting him up with elbows. But it is what it is. You know, it was in New York. You got to give that first round to Frankie. Second round was 100% Cheeto's round. I mean, Cheeto was putting it on him that second round. But the third round, like I said, you just got to start these Cheeto Vera fights in that third round. And that's when he really turns up. And that's when he looks world class. And boy, did he look world class in that third round against Frankie Edgar. You know, it's one thing to just catch Frankie Edgar, but to be systematically beating him down like he did in that third round was beautiful. But then the Rob Font fight was the ultimate test. You know, here's your five-round main event. You know, the biggest criticism for Cheeto was always, you know, we know he's a killer. We know he's got good submissions. We know he doesn't give up. He's got the chin, all these things. But people kind of question his boxing a little bit. And you know how I mentioned how he went from the gym 50-50 in Ecuador, then went to Team Oyama in California, but he still needed to fix something else. So what did he do? He goes to world-class boxing for MMA coach, uh, Jason Perillo, a guy who was responsible for UFC champion, double champion, such as BJ Penn, a guy who was responsible for UFC champion, Michael Bisming, a guy who's responsible for UFC champion, uh, Chris Cyborg. So a guy that's, you know, ultimately trained three UFC champions goes to him to sharpen up the one big hole in his game, which was his boxing goes in there against arguably the best boxer in the division. And 
let's just say this. He showed off that amazing chin, but when it was his turn to land his shots, boy, did he make them count. And he's a guy that can steal rounds with damage. He's a guy that can steal rounds with, you know, making someone uh, just, you know, taking their shots. But when it's his turn to land his, I mean, he will drop you. He will hurt you. He will override everything that you've done up until that point and make his shots just so much more impactful and damaging that it looks like you got hit by a car. And that's exactly what he did to Rob Font. And you saw the swag in there. He could have finished Rob Font at multiple points in that fight. But, I mean, he was almost... It was almost he almost showed some championship s qualities. He wasn't rushing the finish. He was almost playing with his food in there, which was fun to see. But now we got a real test in Dominic Cruz once again. What's amazing about Dominic Cruz is he's a pioneer, not just for the sole fact that he, like I said, is the last ever WC bantamweight champion, the first ever UFC bantamweight champion. Usually, when long reigning champs lose their belts, they don't regain them again. This guy regained it again. So, I mean, Dominic Cruz is an enigma. Dominic Cruz is someone that should be in the Hall of Fame, that will be in the Hall of Fame, and has my respect to the fullest degree. So, a long time ago, there was this dude named Brandon Vera. Speaking of Veras. So, I don't know if you all remember, Brandon Vera used to fight in the UFC. You know, he knocked out Frank Mir, was always talking about how he was going to be the first champ, champ, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Actually ends up doing that in this other organization called One, but he was never able to do that in the UFC. But anyways, the reason I'm bringing up Brandon Vera, firstly, is because he trained with Dominic Cruz for the longest time at Alliance. But secondly, so Brandon Vera comes to my gym at the time, my old gym, not my new gym. Shout out Team Octopus for the current gym I'm at. But he came into my old gym, knuckle up. And he taught a seminar at the gym, right? Showed us a bunch of cool shit. And uh, this was like back when he was at, at the peak of his career. But anyways, one of the questions I asked him, because, you know, I was a hardcore fan of the sport. I followed everything. I wanted to know about this Dominic Cruz footwork. Like, is Dominic Cruz's footwork, he pioneered his own style. I mean, you, you look at TJ Dillashaw, you look at Corey Sanhagen, these guys have all emulated uh, Dominic Cruz's style and created it into, into something of their own. So I asked Brandon Vera about this Dominic Cruz footwork. Like, like, what, yeah, like what, what's the deal with this, man? Because no one had ever seen anything like it before. So Brandon Vera tells me that Dominic Cruz, like after practice, would just li literally be working on his footwork for two hours straight on the mat. And like dudes around the gym would be like, oh, what's this weirdo doing tap dancing on the mat? And let's just put it this way. Uh, a bunch of world championship belts later and no one was questioning uh, his methods anymore. And as a result, he's one of a kind. There's only one Dominic Cruz. You're not going to get a training partner to emulate his style. I mean, like I said, there's people that have tried to you know, take elements of it, like the TJ Dillashaw's, the Corey Sanhagen's, but there's only one Dominic Cruz, and he's the innovator. And Dominic Cruz just has a way of just frustrating people. He'll enter the pocket, make you swing at air, exit the pocket. But the way, when I say enters the pocket, I'm not saying he's plodding around. I'm saying this guy's switching stances. This guy's dipping his head. These guys doing, he's doing all these weird ass things that I don't really know how to explain because it's so unique and only he does it. Uh, but basically, he gets guys mesmerized. He gets guys to start headhunting. And he's like a ghost. He's nowhere to be found. He Then he'll faint the level changes. Then you start getting worried about that. And interestingly enough, that's when he'll plant his feet. And he starts actually throwing some big bombs. Now, he doesn't have the biggest power in the world. But, you know, 
it accumulates over time and it just frustrates guys when they're going a hundred percent trying to take his head off and the dude's still there dancing around them, dancing around them. It's like, God damn, like what do I do gotta do to get this guy out of there? So that's why you can't headhunt against Dominic Cruz. You gotta start by chopping down the foundation with leg kicks, with calf kicks, and eventually that's what will slow down the movement, and then you can start to go upstairs. And the reason I bring that up is because there's a good example. You watch the fight between Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw, the night when Dominic Cruz won his belt back, which is crazy. Like I said, you're a long-reigning champion. You're, you sit out for like four years or whatever with that torn ACL and all the surgeries, and long-reigning champions don't often get their belts back. Like that's just – I mean, there's some exceptions here and there, but for the most part it doesn't happen, especially with that long of a layoff. This dude, Dominic Cruz, goes out there, plays the perfect game plan for the first three rounds, has TJ Dillashaw swinging and missing in air, has him completely frustrated, has these guys overconfident, even goes out there, level changes, hits a couple takedowns on the former D1 wrestler, TJ Dillashaw. Now, we got to talk about the championship rounds because this is a five-round fight as well. But by the time the championship rounds had, had, had come around, TJ Dillashaw was starting to accumulate a lot of leg kicks, which were significantly slowing down Dominic Cruz, which is why Dominic Cruz lost the fourth and fifth round. And the reason I bring that up is because a guy like Marlon Chito Vera, he doesn't really rush things. And I felt like TJ Dillashaw was really rushing things um, against Cruz, the pioneer, um, in the early going. He was just so bloodthirsty, just trying to headhunt, just trying to get him out of there right off the gap, um, right off the jump, excuse me. But basically, by the time the fourth and fifth round came around, that's when Dominic Cruz was somewhat immobilized by the leg kicks that had been adding up to that point. So what I'm thinking here is with a guy like Chito Vera, he's not just going to be headhunting from the jump. He's actually like that's why I said you don't need to really start watching Chito Vera fights until round three. Round three is when they really start. And now that he's a five round fighter, like, God damn, like now, like. Five round Cheeto is a very, very scary thing. So I think Cheeto needs to approach this similarly to a lot of his fights. I need, I think he needs to look, let Dominic Cruz frustrate you for the first two rounds. Let Dominic Cruz do his thing. If Dominic Cruz is going to land a couple takedowns, okay, let's not use too much energy. Let Don, let Dominic Cruz be Dominic Cruz for a round or two. But what you need to do, if, if you're going to succumb the first two rounds, let's at least invest in in calf kicks let's at least invest in body shots so that when that third fourth and fifth round do uh come around i keep saying when they when it comes around and rolls around trying to get my words not twisted up but y'all understand what i'm saying by the time the championship rounds approach that that's better right that's better that's when the money needs to be in the bank that's when all the investments need to add up and that's where i think cheeto vera and say fuck it and go for it because that's where I think Dominic Cruz is not going to be as much of a ghost and is not going to be as unhittable as he would be in the early going. So that's kind of my point here. Need little investments from Chito Vera in the early going that are going to pay dividends in the third, fourth, and fifth round. And from there, I don't think Cruz is exempt from getting finished. Um, the, the Cody Garbrandt fight. Now, while we might agree Cody Garbrandt, at least at the time, was riding super high on confidence. This is before he got knocked out every fight. He had very sharp hands, and that was a once-in-a-lifetime performance. Um, the reason I bring that up is 
Dominic Cruz has been knocked down multiple times. The Henry Cejudo fight, even most recently the Pedro Munoz fight. So he can be hurt. And the difference between some of these guys and Cheeto is when Cheeto hurts you, he's got the most finishes in the history of this division. He is the most prolific finisher in Bantamweight history. So I think when he finishes you, if he's up on the scorecards like he was in the Rob Font fight, then I think he might let you off the hook. But if he's down these first two rounds, you know, because sometimes you got to succumb these first two rounds to Cruz, he's going to be very hard to find. So let's say we do succumb these first two rounds to Cruz when you do finally hurt him in that third, fourth, and fifth round. It's time to pounce and it's time to get him out of there. And I think that's exactly what Cheeto's capable of doing. So again, I see the first round. And and even parts of the second round, I think I see it being frustrating for Cheeto. But if Cheeto just keeps his cool, just chills out, let's not try to headhunt too much. Let's not try to rush things. Let Dominic Cruz dance around the ring. Let him do his fancy footwork, his innovative footwork. Let him get off on some shots. Let him take you down. Let him do whatever. But when when it's finally your time, when all the money in the bank's been added up, all those small investments on the calf kicks, on the body shots. And then we get in the clinch. We start busting them up with knees, with elbows. That's going to be the time to hurt Dominic Cruz and to either win rounds off damage or to potentially finish the great Dominic Cruz. So Cruz is going to land the more volume here. The thing is, damage is the number one scoring criteria in the sport. Point in case, look at the numbers in the Rob Font fight. And let me pull up those numbers right now. So in the Rob Font fight, Rob Font landed 271 significant strikes. Marlon Vera landed 159. In most cases, the guy that landed, you know, over 100 strikes more is winning the fight. But look at these other key details. Three knockdowns by Marlon Chito Vera. He's much more dangerous than Dominic Cruz. And don't get it twisted. You know, there's this misconception that Dominic Cruz just kind of pot shots and I don't think that's the case, man. I think that Dominic Cruz, yeah, he'll dance around the ring a lot, but when he when he gets in his zone, he'll plant his feet and he will swing some bungalows. So don't uh don't don't forget about that and don't sleep on that. I just think that Cheeto Vera has got the hardware, the insane chin to eat that and not be phased, not be rocked. Now, one thing I've always said is it's going to be a very sad day when Cheeto Vera inevitably gets knocked out because, you know, like Luke the other week, and, and shout out to everybody that bet on Jeff Neal, myself included. When when you get hit as much as a guy like Luke, one day you're going to inevitably get knocked out, and that's what finally happened. Um, and one day, I, I hope not, but one day it, it is it is going to happen to Cheeto, but I just don't think it's going to be now. I think he's flat out in his prime, and I think he's on the upward trajectory. And not that Dom Cruz is necessarily trending downward. I mean, I, th- I felt like since the fight with Cejudo, I mean, I thought he decisively won the the Casey Kenny and the Pedro Munoz fight. I even bet him in the Pedro Munoz fight. I also max bet Henry Cejudo against Cruz, and I bet uh, Chito Vera at dog odds against Rob Font. So I've had a decent history with, with both these guys. And this spot, I'm taking Marlon Vera, man. I just think that down the stretch, third, fourth, fifth round, once that movement starts to slow down, once these calf kicks start to accumulate, that's when is going to be the time to go out there and really put the damage on him, really seal the deal, really steal these rounds, and possibly possibly get him out of there. Um, someone said Cruz can take Cheeto down. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he can take him down. 
in in the first two rounds especially but i think those takedowns are going to be harder to come by as the fight progresses as those as those uh calf kicks start accumulating so someone else asked me what how do i feel about the line i mean like i understand if this was a three-round fight then i'd be a lot more worried about kind of cruz winning the first two rounds cheeto winning the third but ran out of time then that plus 200 there's a lot of value on but in a five round fight like i've been waiting so long for five round cheetah and i think five round cheetah you know not not trying to get cute and call him a mythical creature but like there's a reason that i've been waiting for this five round cheetah certain guys are going to excel in five round fights cheetah is one of them and we've seen dominic cruz his last two five round fights uh the the suhudo one doesn't count because he didn't even make it past the second round but i'm saying the cody garbrandt fight the uh, TJ Dillashaw fight, he was slowing down towards the latter parts. So, I mean, actually, someone might say that that he had his best round in the fifth against Cody, but that fight, that was more like Cody didn't even need to do anything else. Cody could have just coasted the rest of that round because he had that fight in the bag. But the the TJ and Dom fight was head-to-head, and it was an accumulation of kicks that really fucked up Cruz towards the fourth or fifth round. And I think accumulation is going to be big here, mixed in with Cheeto's composure. He's not going to just be headhunting from the jump. He's not going to be redlining. He's not going to be carried away from all the trash talk going in. Because y'all remember, y'all should ri- y'all should watch the side by side interview that um, that Dominic Cruz and T.J. Dillashaw did before their fight. I mean, Dominic Cruz mentally fucked the guy before the fight even started. Um, I remember he said some shit like, like, uh, uh, TJ was like, I'm not going to talk to you about that. And Dominic Cruz is like, what do you mean? I'm standing right in front of you, dummy or some shit like that. Like he just like Dominic Cruz verbally, like he can assault dudes verbally and get in their heads, but Cheeto's not the kind of guy to be affected by that. And the reason I bring that up, I know talk is cheap. I just bring that up because I don't think he's going to fight uncharacteristic as a result. Right. So, yeah. So I see. Dominic having his most success in the early rounds, as usual, as anyone does against a guy like Marlon Chito Vera. But then after that, I see the damage accumulating. And eventually, I think Chito either gets him out of there or makes it decisive enough to win this decision. So I parlayed Chito Vera, but at a different line. Um, I, what, what did I parlay him at? I don't even fucking remember. But it was, uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to log into my, to my shit and tell you what I, what I parlayed him at. So I, I parlayed him with uh, Bruno Blindado Silva, who's fighting GM3. And shout out GM3. I love me some GM3, but, you know, this is just business. It's nothing personal. Uh, so, yeah, I, I parlayed Marlon minus 205. You know, I, I could have I played it straight, but I got a little cheeky here parlaying him with, uh, with Bruno. Um, normally, I don't parlay unless it's over minus 250, but... I was feeling a little cheeky here. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if it costs me. We'll see if it backfires. You know, parlays are a bookmaker's dream. But now he's minus 240. So, I mean, you know, I beat that line by, you know, a good 35 cents. So I parlayed him with Bruno Silva. The odds on that parlay were plus 102. So I got dog money there. So, yeah, I'm going Marlon Chitovera to come out here and defeat the great, the legendary, the future Hall of Famer, Dominic Cruz, the innovative Dominic Cruz, the great Dominic Cruz. And uh, let's go, Marlon. I think it's your time now. All right, co-main event of the evening. I'm very excited about, I'm very excited to talk about this one. So co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division, we got David Onama. He's 10-1, and one, representing Uganda, taking on Nate the Train Landwehr, who is 15-4, representing the United States of America. Currently, they got it 
David Onama minus 315. The comeback on Nate Landwehr is plus 265. Now, I know y'all recall when David Onama fought Gabriel Mowgli Benitez, I was very bullish on David Onama there. It was like minus 150 in that spot. I was all over David Onama there. And and to the point where, I mean, dudes were like arguing with me, getting mad at me, saying this, saying that. and They were planting their flag on Gabriel after that Billy Q beatdown to beat this African savage. I, I didn't really understand it. But this is a completely different matchup. Um, someone said, why not just bet Vera live after one or two rounds? I mean, I don't know. What if my prediction isn't right? Or what if I just bet him now and then also bet him after one or two rounds? I mean, like, yeah, live betting is fun and all, but, you know, I, I like I, I like to bet before the fact because what if Vera gets a first-round finish? Then I won't get a live betting opportunity. You just you just never you never know what's going to happen. But if I get good good odds and I like how things are going, then, yeah, I'll live bet him too. But um, that's just, you know, just like I, I don't fuck with props. I prefer to bet before the fact than live. And if I get a good opportunity live, I'll take it. But, you know, but but do you. Do you. I'm not going to tell you how to bet. But anyways, back to Onama and Landwehr. So I was very heavy on Onama against uh, Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. And, you know, a lot of people had a lot of opinions about that, saying Gabriel was like the play of the week. I didn't understand it, but it was what it was. Thank you, David Onama. And I like Onama a lot, Lucky. I always talk about that African power. These African fighters can do things that other guys can't do. They possess a different kind of power, a different kind of athleticism. They got heart for days. I mean, look at Sodik Yusuf. Look at Israel Adesanya. Look at Kamaru Usman. Um, even my boy Razak Al-Hassan, when he's on his game, dude's scary. David Onama's scary too. David Onama's a stud. I think David Onama's got a very bright future in the sport. But I, feel, I view this fight a little bit differently than I view the Gabriel fight. I felt like Gabriel, you know, his chin had been tested multiple times. Um, he was coming off a brutal beatdown against Billy Q. He wasn't at the best place. He also, I think he might have missed weight for the fight too. Like, Gabriel wasn't looking good. But Nate the Train, I don't think that Nate the Train is damaged goods at all. I think that, if anything, Nate the Train is coming into his prime, whereas a kid like Onama, even though he can get away with a lot of things just because of his raw gifts. And, and when I when I talk about his raw gifts, his talent, his athleticism, I don't want that to I don't want that to seem like um overshadowing his hard work and his determination. Because the guy, the guy's a hard worker too. The guy's in there, you know, putting putting in his time on the mat. So he's got that sweat equity too. So please don't make it seem like I'm making excuses for him because he's a superior athlete that therefore, you know, he's not working hard. The dude's a hard worker. And I got, and I think he's got a very bright future. My only thing is Nate Landwehr is a super experienced guy. Nate Landwehr is also not at the tail end of his career. You know, um, Nate's a guy that was a former M1 champion in Russia, was beating Russians in Russia. It's been five rounds before. Uh, so it's, this is different than the Gabriel fight, you know? And one thing you got to take note about Nate Landwehr's four fights in the UFC he comes into the UFC as this wild man, right? Like if y'all watch his promo video before the UFC, I mean the guy, the guy's just crazy. He's wild. Gets knocked out in that UFC debut. Survives a deep ass fucking was it a Darce attempt against Herbert Burns? Gets up and he starts going after him a little recklessly. Got caught with a knee. Listen, a knee to the chin is gonna knock anybody out. Next fight against Darren Elkins felt no threat whatsoever about Darren from Darren Elkins. Was literally fighting with his hands down. Was like, hey Dana, you know what I mean? Like the dude, the dude was was a wild man out there. 
Um, some people thought he lost that fight. I bet on him. Um, you know, it was what it was. He, he he felt no threat from Darren Elkins whatsoever that he he fought him with his hands down. The Julian Arosa fight, that was kind of a weird one. He drops Julian Arosa right away, and then he gets dropped right away again with, with a knee. So a knee can knock anybody out. But I felt like in that Ludovic Klein fight, man, I, I felt like that was a big step in the right direction. He wasn't fucking around. He wasn't fighting recklessly. He had his hands up nice and tight because the reason going into it, I was like, oh, man, that head kick of Ludovic Klein's going to be there was because I've been used to Nate fighting with his hands down, being crazy, being like, woo, and Dana, you know, and during his fights. But he actually showed up. He was technically sound. He took it seriously, and he fought like a true vet against Ludovic Klein. Now, I'm not saying that David Onama can't knock out uh, Nate Landauer because, again, when you're dealing with the African power, power can override technique in, in these spots. You know what I mean? Like, he can just get away with things that other guys can't get away with. But what I am saying is that if Landauer doesn't die in this fight, you understand? If he doesn't die in this fight and he comes out here seriously, doesn't underestimate this kid, fights with his hands nice and high, fights discipline, can drag him into deep waters. I'm not saying he's going to break a guy like Onama. Onama's got heart for days. You saw that in the Mason Jones fight. But what I am saying is that I, I think that there's a chance that Nate Landwork can kind of outvet David Onama. But again, it's contingent on him not getting sent to the shadow realm in you know the first round or so. And I, I understand that's a distinct possibility. Like, David Onama is still very raw, still very green, but he can get away with so much because of his God-given gifts and his talent. And I think Onama's awesome. And I think Onama one day will be a top 15 guy. And I think there's still a chance he might knock out Nate Landwehr. But I'm low-key interested on these plus 265 odds on Landwehr here, to to be honest with you, man. Like, I low-key think that if he can come out here, fight discipline like he did in that last fight, Give him just show off your experience here. Take him into those deep waters, mix things up. Then I think he's got a chance. Um, look, obviously, I'm worried. I don't like betting against Africans for the reasons I mentioned. Like, you won't catch me betting against Francis and Gano, you won't catch me betting against uh, you know, Kamaru Usman until like they start dropping multiple fights or. You know any or any of these other guys man like they're they're just so gifted or so decusive like they're, they're just different but i just think that david onama is super green and it didn't matter in the mowgli fight but i think mowgli's kind of damaged goods i don't think nate's damaged goods i just think it's about nate's approach again nate wants to come out here cocky hands down woo dana you know if he wants to do all that shit then he's gonna get knocked out but if he comes out here hands high fight smart, shows off that vet experience, has a couple tactics in the back pocket waiting for Onama, I think he might be live for an upset. So, look, I'm not as confident on on Lanwer as I was on Jeff Neal because with Jeff Neal, we had specific advantages. We were way faster than Luke, and Luke gets frustrated by guys with good movement that, uh, that are faster than him, that are southpaws as well. So this one, I'm not as confident as I am on Luke, but... I think that, again, I think that if Nate doesn't get deaded early on and doesn't just get, you know, African-powered here, I think Nate has the chance to make this an honest fight. And I I think that Nate, 
and turn it into that dogfight and possibly get a split decision win, possibly get a late submission like that last fight, like possibly just, you know, give, hand this kid a setback, the kind of setback he's going to learn from, the kind of setback he's going to come back better from and, and go into the top 15 one day. Because I do think Onama's got top 15 potential, 100%. It's just you got to pay your dues, and Nate Landwehr has paid his dues. So Nate Landwehr comes out here with the right approach, and I'm willing to take a shot on these plus 265 odds and, and see what happens. Um, you know, again, I know the risk here. I know what we're up against. I know the kind of talent we're dealing with on the other side, and I fully accept the fact that my guy might get knocked the fuck out. So I get it, but my gut is telling me that Nate has a chance to turn this into that gritty dogfight and, and just show off that vet experience, have those tactics waiting for him, take me into deep waters and, and, and show the kid a thing or two, give him a vet lesson with the kind he'll come back better from. So I'm going to, I'm going to take Nate land. We're for these plus two sixty five odds. Pray that we don't get launched into the shadow realm in the first couple minutes. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Nate the train here. But again, I understand the, I understand the, the, you know, the variance factor in a fight like this. Like he might get knocked out in the first 30 seconds and everything I said goes out the window. So, but I think that one scenario could possibly be a close split decision type fight. And if, and if it is one of those, if it is this back and forth war, like the one he had with Mason Jones, then there's value on this plus 265. So, you know, I wish I was clairvoyant. I wish I knew what was going to happen. I wish I knew, hey, if you're going to get knocked out early, then then I'm not going to take these odds. But if I know that Lanwer is going to fight with those hands nice and high, he's going to approach this the right way, clinch this guy up, tire him out, you know, and use those vet tactics, then, then there's a chance we can get this. So I'm going to roll the dice and take Nate Landwehr here. And uh, Onama will 100% be back. Uh, no, Onama will be a top 15 guy one day. I truly believe that. Now, featured bout in the middleweight division, we got Gerald GM3 Mearshart. He's 34 and 15, taking on Bruno Blindado Silva, who was 22 and 7. Currently, they got it. Bruno Blindado minus 280. The comeback on Gerald Mershart is plus 240. So another amazing fight. I mean, Gerald Mershart, I'm such a fan of his. Very cool guy. I met him in person and had him on the show a few times. Just nothing but good things to say. I mean, most submissions in USC middleweight history, like more than Damian Maya in, in the middleweight division, more than Anderson Silva. That dude's a stud. Dude's a record holder. Like, how can you not love him? And he's had some amazing upsets. He's got a history of coming through as an underdog. I, I just view this as a very tough matchup for him, man. I know there's the narrative that, you know, Bruno Blindado's lost, um, what is it, six of seven by submission. But the thing about it is the last one was in 2016, you know. it's It's been, what, six years since then? He's turned things around, especially since he started training at – um, Eva Luciao tie, you know, with, with Fernaldo and all these guys. And one thing about Bruno Blindado, like, you know, since that time that he lost that, that fight in 2016, this guy goes over to Russia and, and becomes a champ in Russia. And he wasn't just beating no random Russians. This guy knocked out Alexander Shlomenko 
And if y'all have been following the sport for a while, you guys know exactly who Alexander Shlomenko is, former Bellator champion, just a, a, a bona fide stud Russian fighter. And he knocked him out in the first round. He goes into this war with Artem Frolov, not Artem Lobov. Artem Frolov was 11-0. They got this war, and he knocks him out in the fourth round. So not only does Blindado have this devastating power, but he's got the heart too. And he's also in incredible, incredible, incredible shape. Um, whatever supplements he's taking, keep taking them, my man. You know what I mean? His ground and pound is vicious. His takedown defense is getting better. His awareness on the mat, defensively speaking, and his get-up game have also improved uh, improved leaps and bounds. And that fight he had with Alex Pereira, this dude stood and banged with Alex Pereira for three rounds. First two rounds were fucking close, man. First two rounds could have gone either way. But the third round, you know, he got cracked with a hard one, got rocked badly. But he wasn't looking for no way out, man. I mean, he was standing; he was still standing in the in the pocket, throwing down with a guy like Alex Pereira. Y'all know how dangerous Alex Pereira is. Alex Pereira knocked out Izzy. Alex Pereira knocked out Dustin Jacoby. Alex Pereira knocked out Sean Strickland. Alex Pereira is about to fight for a UFC title shot. Bruno Blindado went three rounds hard with him, admirably, and and that was very very impressive. And I think here with GM three, you know, GM three, if you get carried away, you take him to the ground or you start getting tired, that's when he can get off on some opportunistic submissions. But if you look at like his upset win against um, Floyd Mayweather's kid, uh, Muradov, th- there's a big difference between how Muradov fights and how Bruno Silva fights. Muradov kind of likes to keep it on the outside, kind of likes to keep it pretty. But if you get into his face, like Gerald Mearshart did, Muradov doesn't like that. Muradov likes to stay long. Muradov doesn't like to get hit. Whereas Bruno Silva, you get in Bruno Silva's face, and uh, he's gonna draw that line in the sand. He's gonna chuck. He's gonna chuck some bungalows, and someone's hitting the deck. And in a fight like that, I trust Bruno Silva's power all, and durability over Gerald Mershart's. So yeah, as long as some opportunistic submission doesn't happen from Gerald here, I don't think Gerald's gonna be hitting takedowns. I don't think Gerald's gonna be outstriking Bruno. Look, you, and Gerald's got a deceptive, a deceptive body kick, and sometimes you sleep on his hands. He might surprise you, but. Not in this spot. I think that Bruno Blindado actually comes out here. And as much as I love Gerald, I, I think he knocks Gerald out in the first round. So I parlayed Bruno Blindado with uh, Marlon Chito Vera plus 102 odds. Let's get it. So before I talk about Devin Clark versus Azamat Mirzakana, if everybody do me a huge favor, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. If y'all got any questions for me, let me know. After I'm done breaking down the fights, I'll post a link to join the the chat. And uh, y'all let me know what you think. So let, let me see what y'all are saying right now. My boy Moy says, the carousel conductor approves this. Uh, I appreciate you approving this. Colby Chaos says he wants to see me and Cody Saftik uh, do a show together. I agree. I've actually approached him about it back in the day. I thought that mean it would be a great duo because we, we'd argue, which is what the fans want to see. The fans want to see debates, and we won't be afraid to back down from our stances. So if y'all want to see me and Cody Saftik, then – Hit him up and let him know, you know? I, I think that that's what the fans would want to see because it'd be two strong, two strong uh, hosts. It wouldn't be one strong host and one, you know, whatever host. And I'm not taking shots at anybody. I'm just saying in general, me and Cody would be two very strong hosts, you know, bullheaded guys that are not going to back down from our stances, that are going to entertain the fans, are going to go after each other. Like, I think that's what the fans want to see, right? So if y'all want to see me and Cody Saftik, y'all, y'all, y'all let him know that. Um, he, he says that would be a dream team. Yeah, tell him. Let him know. 
My boy Couch Warrior in the house. What's up, buddy? Jill Zeno says, best analyst on YouTube. I appreciate that, my man. Locker Room says, I got the best hat on the internet today. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Go Braves, go Braves. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, I think the rest I pretty much addressed. Okay. So next up in the 205-pound division, we got a matchup between Devin Clark. He's 13-6, and six, taking on Azamat Murzakana, who's 11-0, representing Russia. Currently, they got it. Azamat Murzakana, minus 145. The comeback, to, the comeback on Devin Clark is plus 125. Big Bird UFC said, Dan can take me to sleep. Well, you mean you call me boring, or are you saying that, uh, or are you a chick? And uh, like, which, which, what do you mean by that? Um, so anyways, as far as Azamat and Devin Clark are concerned, listen, I've never been the highest on Devin Clark. He's the fact that he stuck around the UFC this long, got to give him credit for it, but the guy's kind of spastic. He'll kind of blitz you with his chin straight up in the air. He can grind guys though. He can push a pace and you start to gas out on a guy like Devin Clark. You can definitely grind out decisions. Um, but I think there's some misconceptions about Azamat Mirzakhanov, especially that last fight. People say it was a comeback fluke win. And no, it's not. Uh, two judges had him winning the first round. And that means that, and he lost the second round. That means it was one to one going into the third round on two scorecards. And clearly he dropped. Um, and clearly he dropped uh, Tafan in that third round. So doesn't that mean that had that gone to decision that Mirzakhanov would have won? If it was, look, if it's one to one going into the third round. You drop the guy in the third round. Let's say the ref doesn't stop it. I mean, that's your round. That's that. That's a decision win for Mirza Khanov. So this whole comeback finish talk is complete bullshit. Do not listen to what people are saying about that. That is completely categorically false. It was one-to-one on two judges' scorecards, and Mirza Khanov finished him in the third. Not to mention, that's a completely different matchup. Uh Tefan is, you know, Tefan's got that striking background. Tefan isn't going to push you up against the fence, kind of, you know, like Devin Clark is looking to do. And, and and not to mention, man, um, the difference here is that Azamat was trying to take down a guy like Tefan, whereas here I think it's going to be him, you know, looking to stuff takedowns, looking to light up a guy like Devin Clark. And, yeah, is Azamat a little smaller for the weight class? Yeah, but he's got speed. And he's got big power. I mean, he's knocked out some legit guys outside the UFC. I mean, knocked out Andre Muniz in under a minute. He beat um, uh, Mateus Sheffield on Contender Series, the dude who's fighting in the semifinals for PFL, could potentially win a million dollars. So he's knocked out some legit guys. Uh, so I know a lot of people are on Clark here, and I understand why on principle, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that last Mirzakana fight. I think he performs better here. I think his speed's going to be too much, and I think he comes out here, and I think he knocks out Devin Clark. So give me Mirzakana uh, for the win. Now, man, some of these next fights, it's like, what, what is going on, y'all? But anyways, next up in – uh. <laughs> he said, what do you know about Russian karate? That's funny. Um, honestly, I wouldn't mind just putting the link in here and letting y'all join me now because, like, some of these other fights, like, I mean, do y'all, y'all want to hear me talk about these other fights? Here, I'll post the link. Um, 
I'll talk about some about the one with the newcomers, just so you'll get that out the way. I already talked about Nina and Cynthia when they were supposed to fight a couple weeks back. I think that back in the day, Cynthia would have for sure won, but Cynthia has been like not answering the bell between rounds and doing all these things. And and Nina had COVID and a baby. Like, who knows where they're both at? So it's like a dog or pass situation. If they're both at their best, I got Cynthia, but who knows where either of them are at? So I don't know. I, I got no idea. And then the next one between in the strawweight division between Yasmin uh, Juregui, that's how you pronounce it. It was eight no taking on another Yasmin Lucinda was thirteen and four. They got that uh, Juregui minus two ten. Yasmin uh, Lucinda plus one eighty. That, that, that's like a striker versus versus grappler matchup. Um, Juregui is like. She's very aggressive on the feet. She's knocked chicks out, which is something you don't often see in the strawweight division. So on the feet, I think she's got a clear edge with her aggression, with her speed, with her power. And on the other side, Lucindo's beat UFC vet. She beat Sarah Froda, who actually knocked out uh, Vivian Arujo back in the day. Uh, Lucindo can chain takedowns, can get on top. So that's her path to victory. So it's like, where's this fight going to take place? On the feet, uh, Jaragui is going to light up Lucindo. But on the mat, Lucindo might grind out or submit jiragui so i don't fucking know i really don't know i have no idea um i guess i'll go ah, shit I, I, I really do not know like if you can tell me where the fight's gonna take place then i can pick a winner but i guess since we're talking like this i'll go lucindo because since it, it's since i'm not obvious about the favorite i'll go with the dog but the dog can only win taking this fight to the mat if not she's gonna get lit up possibly knocked out standing I don't know. Maybe y'all got a better read on that. Heavyweight division, we got Lukas Brzezeski, who's 8-1, representing Poland, taking on Martin Boudet, who is 10-1, representing Slovakia. That's what's up. So we got another Slavic here because, you know, Ludovic Klein was the first. Currently, they got it Martin Boudet, minus 260. Lukas Brzezeski is plus 220. So I think Martin Boudet is a real heavyweight. This is a dude who comes out here weighs in 265 pounds probably has to cut to make the limit when this guy pins you up against the fence brutal knees brutal elbows and he imposes his will he imposes his size he lets you know what a real heavyweight feels like and with lucas brzezki it's kind of goofy in there and also he's like 230 pounds might be able to drop to 205 failed a drug test for his last five so i don't know what he's going to look like here so give me the real heavyweight, Martin Boudet, in that one. Someone said, what do I feel about Cynthia quitting on the stool last fight? I mean, you know what I feel. She's not the same fighter she once was. She doesn't want it like she used to. It's just on the other side, I don't know if that fighter wants it either. So to me, that's a clear pass unless you feel like you have an edge. So, yeah. Um, now, next up in the 155-pound division, we got a matchup between Gabriel Mogi, Mogli Benitez. He's 22-10, and 10, taking on Charlie Antiveros, who is 11-8. Currently, they got it. Gabriel Mogli Benitez minus 350, Charlie Antiveros plus 280. So, I mean, this is a spot where it's like Gabriel should win. Gabriel should whoop this dude's ass. Gabriel should break this kid. It's just that Gabriel was coming off a brutal, brutal, brutal beatdown against Billy Q, like a life-changing beatdown, and then got knocked out in the first round of subsequent fight. Now, granted, Billy Q and David Onama levels above Antiveros, but the thing about Antiveros it doesn't have the heart of a champion. Is not the toughest guy. Doesn't have the best ground game. But like, the guy can at least strike for a couple minutes. Like, 
both his UFC opponents were forced to take him down. Like even Kevin Holland didn't want to stand with him. Even Kevin Holland took him down. Even back in the day, Jeff Neal took him down. So like in the first couple of minutes, Ontiveros has a chance to knock uh, out Gabriel Benitez. But if that doesn't happen, then I definitely think the Mexican heart of Gabriel and the UFC experience, that big body kick, the punches, everything. I think he's going to, I think he's going to break Ontiveros down the stretch, but you got to be aware that in the first two minutes, Ontiveros could possibly knock him out. But that's it. That's the only chance he has. Ontiveros is not winning no heart, no battle of wills. Ontiveros is not win- not getting no no wrestling going. Ontiveros is not gonna, you know, break anybody in there. He's got to either knock you unconscious or he's losing the fight. Period. So for that reason, I got Gabriel just not in a rush to lay odds like that on him at this point in his career. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between O'Day Osborne. He's eleven and four, taking on Tyson Nam, who's twenty and twelve. Currently, they got it. O'Day Osborne minus 245. The comeback on Tyson Nams plus 205. My boy VT said, sup, bro? Third week in a row tuning in. I appreciate you, uh, VT. That means a lot, man. It's cool. It's cool that uh, we got some new people in here, man. Not just the the regular crew. And I love my regulars. Don't get me wrong. But it's fucking awesome to have you back here for a third week in a row. And, and if you just got here, just scroll back to the beginning because we talked about the, the better fights at the beginning. But anyways, here with O'Day. I love O'Day Osborne. Um, he's really badass. He was my favorite member of that season, the contender series that he was on. He's usually known for dudes take him down. He's submitting the guys off their back. But now you're starting to see his striking a little bit more. He's very long. He can get away with, with a lot of uh, unorthodox things just because of the physical tools that he brings to the table. A very big flyweight. Uh, used to fight at Bantamweight. The fact that he's making flyweight is pretty impressive. Um, and with Tyson Nam, we know exactly what he brings to the table. One of the heaviest hitters in flyweight history. It's just that, I mean, do you guys remember back in the day when he knocked out um, Eduardo Dantas? Like, knocked out Ali Bagautinov with, like, a second left. Like, this dude, this dude, Tyson Nam, can crack. Here he's coming off a knee surgery. So, basically, uh, Tyson Nam is knockout or bust. And O'Day has been knocked out, so possibly that could happen. But... The volume is just not there with Tyson Nam. That's my issue. Tyson Nam's issue. Tyson Nam's volume is really, really on the lower side. He's knockout dependent, but the knockout power is there. So, O'Day Osborne is going to be, op- is going to be winning this fight until he gets his arm raised or until he gets caught. But I'm going to say he gets his arm raised. So give me O'Day Osborne to come out here and win a decision. And next up in the bantamweight division, we got Yusuf Zalal ten and five taking on Demond Blackshear, who's twelve and four. Currently, they got it. Uh, is a lot minus one twenty five. The comeback on Demon Blackshear is plus one hundred five. So Demon is an interesting guy. Um, he's very, very talented, very, very athletic, very unorthodox. Can do things other guys can't do. I know he lost a fight to Chris Moutinho, but if you watch that fight, like he was so fucking green back then. It was like over four years ago. He's come a long way since then. He's still green, but like. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a, a lot of athleticism. And he can do things that other guys can't do. Like I've seen him go like flying knee and turn that into like a back take and then choke some dude out. And like, you know, he's got unorthodox kicks. He's got a funky grappling style. Kind of reminds me of like a, a green Aljamain Sterling a little bit. Very talented kid. Uh, Yusuf Zalal is a guy that's been paying his dues. You know, Yusuf Zalal kind of likes to circle around the cage, mix in takedowns, a lot of kicks. You shoot a sloppy shot on him. He's got his Darson Anaconda series going. Um, he's fought now. Listen, Demond's fought some good competition for outside the UFC standards for sure. Definitely paid his dues outside the UFC, but Yusuf has paid his dues inside the UFC. And we're talking about a guy who won the third round against the Poria last three fights. I mean, against 
Choi against Woodson. Like, those are some very tough tests, uh, man. So I lean Zalal. My only thing is, uh, my, my only thing with that is, uh, that, like, if you, if you give me the best version of both guys, like the prime finished product of DeMond Blackshear, I think that he can beat Yusuf Zalal. It's just, I'm not sure if he's quite ready yet. Paying your dues counts for a lot in this sport. Yusuf Zalal has paid his dues, and Yusuf Zalal's back is up against the wall. So I kind of lean Zalal, but like, a kid with, with demands talent and athleticism can make big leaps in small amounts of time and can come out here and surprise you. So it wouldn't surprise me. And there are a lot of holes in Zalal's game, especially related to the takedown defense part of things and kind of lower volume on the feet. So I don't know. I don't know. It's close. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go use of Zalal by split decision, but look out for Blackshear. He might be something one day. And then the last two fights, Witt and Quinlan and Lipsky and Cachoeira, just listen to last week's breakdown. I broke them both down last week, so I don't really got much to say. My opinions haven't changed on both. I thought that the uh, Lipsky fight was a dogger pass situation. This Lipsky's probably more technically sound, but Cachoeira's got bigger heart, and Cachoeira can, you know, get away with things, you know, with a power, with just wading through big shots and, and just breaking opponents. Lipsky has been broken before. So I see that as a dogger pass, but... I don't know if I'm going to bet it. And then Quinlan and Witt, you know, Quinlan's been uh, injecting needles in his ass again. Um, you know, anyone can knock Witt out. Witt does not have the best chin. But if Witt, for some reason, does not get knocked out, then I think Witt probably grinds this guy out. So it's just dependent on uh, Witt's chin. Oh, yeah, skip Godinez and Hill. I mean, are, are you all ready to see Angela Hill cry robbery again when she loses a clear decision? It's Minus 300, Loopy, plus 245, Angela. Not in a rush to lay no minus 300 on Loopy, but I mean, she's got a clear edge here on the mat. If she decides to bang with Angela Hill, then it's probably going to be another one of those close fights. But if she's able to get off on these takedowns, then I think she can come out here and grind out Angela Hill. So, yeah, give me a Loopy Godinez to win a wrestling-based decision. All right, y'all. So I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Um but y'all, I posted the link to join the the call here in in the chat. So if y'all want to join and ask me anything, roast me, grill me, fucking tell me your bets, concerns, life advice, whatever the case may be, feel free. The link's in there. I'm gonna tweet it out real quick. Here is the link to join. Uh, battle live stream for UFC San Diego and ask me anything you want right now. All right, let's see how this goes. Uh, I just tweeted that out. Y'all can retweet if you feel like it. Um, and then again, I'll, I'll post the link in here one more time. So, all right. So, I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then I'll get down to these fan questions. So, fight to watch. I mean, like, listen, besides the main event, I, th I think the fight to watch ha has got to be the co-main event between Nate Landwehr and David Onama. Look, David Onama, some people consider to be a blue-chip prospect. A lot of people think he might be a top 15 guy. 
He represents these African fighters, which are taking over the sport. The guy's got immense power. He's got heart for days. You saw his submission game his last fight. He's just kind of on the raw and green side. And Nate Landwehr, ultra talent, uh, excuse me, ultra tough, gritty, durable veteran, and showed a much safer approach um, in his last fight, which gave him the best performance of his career. So I'm curious to see if Nate Landwehr's got any vet tricks uh, in store for for David Onama. So for that reason, uh, Landwehr versus Onama is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is Marlon Chito Vera. I mean, this is a guy that I've been seeing since day one when he was just this raw kid who, you know, was one fight away from getting cut from the UFC, moves his family to California, makes all these changes, and is just a brick-by-brick hard worker. Takes it one fight at a time. You see evolution every single time. Now he's fighting a third legend and in a main event in San Diego. And if I would have told you, Ten five years ago that Cheeto Vera is going to fight for a title when they all would have said I'm crazy. Well, now he's like one or two fights away from a title uh, shot. So pretty damn impressive. Not to mention he holds the record for most finishes in UFC Bantamweight history. So Marlon Cheeto Vera is my fighter to watch. All right, y'all. The link is in the chat. Y'all click it. Ask me anything you want. If not, if y'all are too shy, then uh, I'm going to get out of here. But I'm also going to read some of the comments y'all been leaving me, and I'll answer those in the meantime. And uh, I hope some of y'all uh, sack up and come in here and ask me some things. It looks like there's a little bit less trolls, man. Ever since I started in giving them the chance to talk side by side with me, they ain't been wanting to show their faces. So um, it's interesting how that works, right? It's always the dudes that hide behind the fake uh, profile pics with the fake names. Want to say the most, but, ne- but, ne- but never want to show their faces. Interesting how that works. Um, I'm not answering that que- that question. I, what's your name? IBA, aka Lyrical Beast. I'm not answering that question for the hundred millionth time. Uh, okay, Matthew said I have a question. When you open up the chat, do you like Blackshear, even though he's coming on short notice? We we just talked about that. All right, Kevin's in here. Let's see what let's see what Kevin's got for me. What's up, Kevin? What's up, man? Chilling, man. Yourself? Let's go off work, man. Dope. What you got for me? I like the blue shirt. Thanks, man. That's my fucking work shirt. Yeah, I got to roll into work in style. Got to let them know. So you think think Creed is going to be able to keep down Cheeto on the map? What do you mean? Like for a round for 30 seconds? Yeah, like if he lands a takedown, how long do you think he's going to be able to keep him there? Or is Cheetah going to be pulling the sweeps? and, Or is he just going to lay on his back, you know, try to work the guard? I mean, I don't think he's going to be sweeping Dominic Cruz or anything like that, but I think that he's going to be working elbows. Oh, yeah, another thing. I'm glad you brought that up. Cruz got a lot of scar tissue from all the years, man. Like maybe uh, Cheeto can open up a cut, possibly get a cut stoppage. I, I never thought about that until you mentioned that. Um, so, yeah, you know, work elbows from bottom, eventually try to get those feet on the hip push him off and get back up to the feet. So I think that the most takedown success is going to come in the first and second round from, uh, from Cruz. But besides that, I think the, as the calf kicks start to accumulate, I think it's going to be tougher for Cruz to get in on those entries. Yeah. Man, I saw something the other day. Uh, what do you think about the over being minus 200? And then 
how does that make sense with the over being favored, but with Cruz being the big dog? Um, well, I mean, I guess it might be recency bias because Marlon just won his last fight uh, by decision. And then you take into consideration that Cruz has historically been a very durable guy. He's only been finished twice in 27 fights. So they think that probably, you know, Cruz is going to be able to dance around long enough to not get finished. And they kind of view it like that. But let me tell you this. One of the most profitable over-unders is the under 4.5 long-term, So, especially at dog money. So if you get those under 4.5 dog money, long-term, you'll be on the right side of the coin. But good question. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I know you disagree, but I did think that Cruz stoppage versus Hudo was a little early. Yeah, but at the same time, you got a ticket on Cruz. You know, we ain't we ain't the refs, we ain't the judges. You know, we're just the guys betting on the fight. So it's yes. like when I, whenever I win a fight on a decision that people disagree with, and they get mad at me, it's like, dude, I ain't a judge. I'm just the guy that bet on the person that won. So it is what it is. You got anything else for me? Uh, not really off the top, man. <laughs> Am I only one in this chat right now? Um. No, there's a lot of people in the chat, but you're the only one uh, that uh, popped up to oh. on the video. You're the only one that had the balls, man. So I got to give you, I got to give you props, Kevin. Yeah, man. Like, I don't care, man. I know a lot about fights. <laughs> like yeah, man. Awesome, buddy. When well, you bring Shaq back. Uh, it's not about me. Shaq left the show. Oh, did he really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the Ankle Live or Smith breakdown, he explained his his reasoning. So it's not about me bringing him back. He left. I need to go back and listen to that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Y'all still on good terms? Yeah, we're on good terms for sure. Wish him nothing but the best. Awesome, bro. Well, I appreciate you, man. You have a good day. Where are you from, by the way? Abingdon, Virginia, man. Okay, okay. We ain't too far from each other. I'm in Atlanta yeah. here. So that's what's up. All right, Kevin. Well, I appreciate it, man. You take care. All right, man. You too, man. Peace. All right, buddy. See ya. All right. That was Kevin. Cool ass dude. Cool ass dude. Um, all right. So last, last call. Anybody else wants to jump in here? Ask me anything. Don't be shy. Now's the time. Last call, last call. And if not, then I'm gonna get the fuck out of here. So I really appreciate y'all being here with me. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you guys know where to follow me. Best fight picks on Twitter. Renee said one day I'll have a good question for you. It doesn't even have to be a good question. Maybe you just want to you know, express some thoughts. Okay, we got we got one in here. We got Big Bird in the house. What's up, Big Bird? Yo, what's up, man? I'm driving right now, so I'll keep it quick. Okay. But I do have one question I'm, I want to ask you. Sure. So I know I assume you tape fights all the time. So when you're taping fights, I know, like, for lower-level fights, it's a lot easier to, like, point out what's the skill sets and the flaws. But, like, when it comes to higher-level fights, what do you look for in the tape? I mean, honestly, the same stuff you look for in any fight. I mean, you want to see what their defense is like in terms of striking defense. You want to see what their takedown defense is like. If they get taken down, you want to see do they get held down? Are they attacking submissions? Are they looking to get back up to their feet? Uh, you want to see the level of competition they've been up there against. You want to see how well do they eat shots? Is their chin good? If they do get cracked, do they have the heart to recover or do they get discouraged? Like, just all, all the same things, like so many boxes to tick, like when, when you're looking into the different qualities of a fighter. When they're attacking submissions, like is it a thing where 
they go balls to the wall for that. You know, they take the back one time, go balls to the wall. But if they can't get anything, do they kind of fold up or are they able to consistently wrestle and consistently try to get good positions and, and keep attacking and stay on their game plan? Like how, how do they react mentally? How do they react physically? So just everything, man, I take everything into consideration. Yeah, I guess it's more of like a case to case basis, but also like another like analytical question. So when um, how much do you bet like the philosophy of like picking winners versus like betting on the value side? Like, for example, the Onama landwear fight. Yeah, um, it's it's always about the value. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like to me. So a lot of people just associate underdogs with value. And I honestly think that value can be a favorite or an underdog to me. Like, for example, if I see a minus uh if I see a minus 150 favorite, but I think you should be minus 250, well, then there's value there, right? And yeah. similarly here on the Onama fight, if I think uh, Landwehr should be you know, plus 130, plus 140, but he's plus 265, well, then there's value there. So uh, to me, it, it's, you know, obviously I'd like it most if the guy I'm picking, there's also value on the line. But at the end of the day, like in the Neil and Luke fight, I wasn't sure who was going to win, but I was just sure that there's no way uh, Neil should be plus 155 in this spot. So, dude, I'm killing myself. I was watching the Neil fight and I go to the live odds after round two and it was a pick em. I didn't I didn't pull the trigger or anything, but like I was like watching it and it's like, I, how was Neil not up 2-0? And then I go after the fact and like he was 2-0. So I guess also like you can get edges in the live betting market, too. Yeah, and another thing, like, because people think that value is only underdogs. Like, they'll be like, oh, I made a value bet on this. Every bet should be a value bet, whether it's a favorite or a dog. Like, uh, for example, when I max bet Rafael Fiziev a few weeks back, he was like minus 200. I yeah. thought he should have been minus 400. So that was value to me. Like, uh, Jamal Hill minus 260. Yeah, might have been a sketchy moment or two, but ultimately I thought that he was going to finish Tiago in that fight. So I was cool laying minus 260. Like it wasn't a hey big man, deal. To my, me. But my value bet last week, Brian Battle, baby. Oh, see that that was beautiful. You know, and you know what's great about that too was that I was like, man, there's no way he should be minus 270 here. And dude, he looked minus fucking 570. So good job, dude, on that, bro. I've been I've done like one on one like private trainings with the dude. I'm so happy for him, dude. He's one of the nicest dudes I've ever met. That's awesome. That's great to hear. And good job on that bet, man. Because I definitely didn't have conviction there, and he uh, he did the thing, man. So that's hey, awesome. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know if it was the drinks talking to me last weekend, but I had my hedges on Sato by KO. I placed that shit last minute. As long as you came out on top, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's true. Do you believe in like the idea of hedging too? Because I've like noticed some people like don't like it because you're losing value, but then in a sense we're in it to make money. So I mean, you kind of have to cover your ass. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you can capitalize on those big line moves, um, then at the end of the day, this game is about making money. And if you can guarantee yourself money, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But at the 100%. end of the day, I, I don't do it as much because I let my ego get in the way and I say hedging's for pussies. But don't don't listen to that. That's just talk. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can guarantee yourself money, do it. Okay, yeah. I'll also say one more thing since we're on the topic of hedging. Bovada, for anybody that has Bovada, they have the over one and a half on the Cynthia Calvillo fight at minus 260, and the over two and a half is minus 240. So I think they messed up the line there. I parlayed the fuck out of that. Nice, nice. Just be careful. Just be careful because sometimes they'll kick you out for doing shit like that. But hey, 
as long as as long as you're not going too crazy, you should be good. So, hell yeah, I appreciate no, dude, you. Buddy. They honored um. Oh no, I'll, I'll say one thing though. They're not gonna cancel it. They honored a Ricky Simone plus two thousand by decision. It didn't cash, but they still honored it. So, hopefully they do. Yeah, hopefully they do. All right, man. You take care. All right. All right. Nice talking to you, Dan. Have a good one. Likewise, man. See ya. Got my boy B Rip in the house. What's up, B Rip? What's up, Dan? Man, I'm a big fan of all the breakdowns, but I just wanted to hop in real quick to compliment you on the shirt. Love the shirt, man. Corn. I got my Rob Zombie on right now, so I'm all about it, man. Hell yeah, man. Corn is one of my all-time favorite bands. Saw them for the first time like in 2002, and then saw them as recently as like last August or something. So yeah, I fucking love corn, bro. Love them. Yeah, love right them. on, man. I know you're big into the drums and too uh, that you're talking about in one of the previous breakdowns, bro. So that's pretty awesome as well. Yeah, you play music. I'm a. I play a little bit of bass, but you know, I'm more like a punk rock baser. Like I, you know, just like slamming this chords and stuff no real like technique or anything to it kind of more like a sid vicious i just like to slap around to have some fun you know you play with a pick or with fingers i'm a i'm played more with my fingers but i've been doing a little more pick lately uh just because i've been on a little bit of a kiss kick and you know simmons was always a pick player so i've been kind of getting in, in a little bit more into that lately that's what's up it's good it's good to do both it's good to do both yeah, right on, man. Well, I know you're probably trying to get out of here, so I just wanted to say, man, I love the breakdowns. Keep up all the great work. I never miss a show, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, man. That means a lot, man. You take care of yourself, all right? Yeah, you as well. See you, dude. All right, see you, man. That was cool, man. It's really awesome when y'all join in here. It means a lot to me. So, guys, thank y'all so much. This is the last call. If anybody else wants to say anything to me, the link is in the chat. But if not, I'll say my parting shots and and I'll get out of here. So I already talked about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Um, Y'all know what to do. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, and also, if you got something out of this show or out of the other shows, tweet it out. Let people know, man, because I don't got no big website backing me. It's just me and y'all. So if y'all want the show to grow, I need y'all's help. So hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Comment, share, retweet, all that stuff. And then also... I only see notifications from people I follow on Twitter. So if I don't follow you and you've been sending me stuff, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's just because I, I don't see it. So if you send me a DM, I'll see that. So so feel free to do that anytime. Um, Y'all know where to subscribe to the show. YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever the fuck podcasts are found. Half the battle is there. Spread the word. Thank you all so much. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. I think that's about it. Oh, yeah. And on uh, Instagram at half the battle pod. So, yep. Yep. Thank you all so much again. Truly, truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.